0: Headliner Radio, the creative voice. Today we're welcoming singer, songwriter, producer and DJ Laura Bettingson onto the show. So welcome, Laura. How are you this fine, drizzly day?
1: I'm really well, thank you, Alice. I'm good. I'm at my house in... south east uh well in east sussex i just recently moved three weeks ago so i'm kind of getting settled down here it's very nice in the
0: countryside oh lovely not a million miles away from me well i'm in kent but you know we're kind of neighboring there aren't oh, we i think door. yeah exactly next door neighbors lovely oh what's the move been like during lockdown
1: Uh, you know it was good it was just a long process you know it took six months basically to to get it all pushed through but um yeah it was a relief once it we finally got here but uh yeah I mean actually the actual process of it was quite stress-free in many ways um because we didn't have that you know could carve out enough time to make it happen you know all those rather than in normal circumstances having like lots of meetings and travel all over the place you'd miss all those solicitors emails but it was actually quite good in Mm. some ways you could make it a a focus but yeah it's been nice
0: well nice I'm glad you're all sort of settled in then it must be a bit different um I'm guessing you've been in London for quite a while then after you know the comparing it to the hustle and bustle of that is it nice to be in this new place now
1: Yeah, it's incredible. Um, I mean, I moved to London when I was 18. So I've been there 15 years. And uh, yeah, it was ready. I was ready to make that leap, really. I knew it wasn't going to be I wasn't going to be a city girl forever. I grew up a countryside um, girl. And so uh, yeah, it was just uh, when to make that move back. And uh, definitely, I think I could have done another couple of years in London. But with the pandemic and everything, I was like, well, maybe we should just do this leap now. And uh, yeah, I'm glad I do. I did. I don't miss it at all. I'm going to really enjoy visiting London, but um, I don't miss living there.
0: Yeah, that's what a lot of my friends say. Actually, that have lived in London for a similar amount of time to you, and they've moved out just a little bit. They love to visit, but weirdly, they don't miss living there at all. Strange, isn't yeah. it? It is and um so other than that that must have kept you very busy over the last year it's a big question I know but what has the last year been like for you I know it's been so difficult for everyone in the music industry with all projects sort of being postponed or that kind of thing no DJing no live performances all of that um has it given you the time to work at stuff at home or or what's it been like for you
1: yeah I mean to be honest I it feels strange saying this but I've had one of my most Kind of productive and successful years ever <laughs> which is such a strange thing to be kind of um to say because obviously there has been a lot of hardship and, and obviously the complete kind of eradication of live events was um was quite strange at first it was like we've all been you know people in music and and artists in in this industry you're kind of conditioned to think that you know you should be touring constantly and always booking more gigs in and always traveling and doing all this stuff so for suddenly for that to be taken away it was it took a a little while to get used to the idea of, that we weren't going to do any shows for probably at least a year um and uh, but actually it's just given me so much time in the studio to to write and and I always have had a studio at home you know it's not like I've had a studio that I had to travel to so I generally my day-to-day was not disrupted at all if anything I had more time in the studio without the distractions of you know meetings or photo shoots or things to travel for um so I've just had like this kind of huge chunk of creative space um, to make lots and lots of new music so it's been great in many ways awful in obviously the kind of uh, you know the grander scheme of globally what has been going on there's been some really it's just been such an insane 12 to 18 months hasn't it but actually personally um, I've had a great year in terms of my career.
0: Yeah you're not the only producer that said that to me especially people with home studios they've really used that time to dedicate to the music where, like you say, you're not travelling, you're not being distracted by this and that. So you're definitely not alone in that regard. I suppose that's one of the very small positives out of everything that's been going on, isn't it, that you can just really focus on getting stuff done that perhaps you didn't have time to before.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really rare, especially for um DJs and electronic music, because you are just on the move most of the time, constantly and always looking when the next show is and you know when where the next even country you're traveling to to do that show is and so it's uh i'm sure i've i've heard a lot of dj friends say that they've really enjoyed um the time you know at home and the tightly enforced kind of pause really and it's made people really have a take a look at you know what they're getting their joy from and what they get joy out of and maybe reassessing you know how to move forward once once things are able to happen again
0: Mm, absolutely, and um, you're from the Midlands, aren't you? Originally, so was it? What was it like growing up there for you in terms of you thinking about perhaps pursuing music one day? Were you always really, really into music as a kid? What was it like for you?
1: Um, well, I grew up in a, like a village outside of a, a town, commuter town called Rugby. I was born in Coventry, but grew up outside of Rugby. And to be honest, there really wasn't much of a music scene there at all (laughs) other than like the local bands you know boys in bands that would be like making emo music and that kind of thing we'd follow like some local bands around local gigs but we really didn't get many people at all like bigger bands come through um, or uh, even DJs and things you know there wasn't that many nightclubs there's even less now actually in rugby Um, so it was a little void of kind of musical culture growing up but um, my dad um, is a musical theater uh, writer and director and so I kind of always grew up with a you know kind of performance streak um, and I'd always sung since about the age of five you know it was always you know there's lots of video of me singing um, songs on holiday or whatever and uh, but I didn't start writing music till I was about 16 uh, and it really wasn't until I decided to move to London at 18 to study. Um, music at goldsmiths um down in southeast london that i suddenly kind of got introduced to the world of like electronic music outside of you know your local <laughs> walkabout saturday night mainstream club tunes that they're playing there um i really hadn't kind of been exposed to that much uh, experimental electronic music growing up so um i was quite late um to discover all that really you know like in my kind of late teens and, and early 20s um but uh and even later to arrive at being my own producer because I didn't see, I wasn't even aware of women in technical roles in music growing up, you know, I hadn't seen anybody or been exposed to any of those kind of roles behind the scenes Um growing up, the only women that I'd ever seen in music were, you know, pop stars, you know, Spice Girls, All Saints, Destiny's Child. And so weirdly, when I started to make like make my own music, I just naturally kind of gravitated towards pop music, because that's kind of all the women that I'd seen uh, growing up were, were pop stars um, making music. So um, yeah, it took me a long time to arrive at kind of where I am now. But um, I've enjoyed the journey. And it really has been A journey to arrive at now being you know self-producing artist in electronic music
0: Mm, and you started this is right isn't it as um dimberly am i saying that wrong dimberly and kappa in 2008 and you're on the bbc introducing stage at Glastonbury festival in 2009
1: yeah that was Dimbleby and kappa yeah that was hilarious that was me basically at goldsmiths for you know studying music for a few years allowed to just kind of experiment and then i wanted a an artist name that I could kind of just hide behind for a bit that wasn't going to be so obviously a solo project you know it sounded like a duo basically um, but it wasn't it was just me making music and making really bonkers bizarre music but um yeah one of uh, the BBC introducing guys put people got hold of that and I ended up doing a little blaster reset, which was which was fun um and then that kind of kicked off my um you know journey into kind of the more professional music industry uh, and then from there I met uh, Nigel Godrich and Joey Warrenker, and we started the band Ultra Easter, um, which is a kind of experimental indie alternative electronic project. Um, and uh, that kind of started my friendship with those guys. And then off the back of that, I launched a solo project called Fem F E M uh, M E, which was you know gained quite a lot of kind of success on a kind of DIY um circuit which was awesome you know toured with Charlie XCX in America and i uh, did lots and lots of touring throughout and it was awesome and then but then and now in the last kind of 18 months to 2 years i have been um stepping more into my role as as uh, a producer and in, in electronic music and kind of really got quite frustrated with being a a solo independent artist in pop music so i kind of said goodbye to fame i put that to bed and uh, I'm now releasing under the name uh, Laura, L-A-U dot R-A. I only put the dot in there because everything else on
0: Instagram has
1: been taken.
0: So. <laughs> I was wondering, so. I wondered if I was meant uh, to pronounce yeah. it with a dramatic pause in the middle or something.
1: <laughs> Laura. No, no, it's just Laura. But yeah, you have to gosh, uh, trying to find a, a, a unique artist name in today when everything's been used on social media. It's really difficult. Um, so it's Law dot R-A, pronounced Laura.
0: Okay, gotcha. So, um, yeah, you mentioned obviously you you met Radiohead's producer Nigel. Then you were doing your other project Fem. So now your new project is Laura. Laura, where you're turning your attention back to your own solo electronic music, of course, and um, going deeper into your role as a producer and DJ. So, why did you decide to do this? Why was it time, and why was it time to use your own name, other than the fact that obviously all the other Instagram names were taken? <laughs> Uh, It was mainly
1: um, because I I came to a point where I felt comfortable in my own uh, abilities as a producer and as an artist to step into my uh, role, you know, into a project that was attached to my own actual real life name. Um, Before that, I think of being younger and having some insecurities about, you know, uh, what exactly you're doing artistically, you know, it's easy to hide behind a character. Uh, and femme or femme was very much that kind of thing. And with Dimbleby and Kappa before that was, was very much me just like, oh my God, I just need a name to like hide behind for a bit while I figure this out. So, um, yeah, I kind of felt like I'd arrived at a point in my own confidence as a producer and artist to be able to say, okay, I feel very comfortable in this music that I'm making to be able to attach it to my real life name. Um, so that was the main reason for doing that. But um, really the reason why I kind of decided to put Femme to bed and leave pop music was through the frustration of, um, I never really felt that supported by the industry as a self-producing artist making pop music. Um, I think especially because I the way I kind of visually branded uh, femme, it was very um, kind of polished and a lot of people made the assumption that I was already on, you know, a big major label contract and uh, would, do, you know, the, the marketing budgets were a lot bigger <laughs> than in reality they were because it was all self-funded um, and it, we don't have like conversations with labels. They would just assume that I was only producing myself for the minute and that ultimately I would want somebody else to produce my records when actually that was not the reason at all. Like I love producing myself in the studio. I love sitting, you know, in front of the computer for six, seven hours, you know, programming a drum beat as much as I love dressing up in some amazing costume and standing on stage and singing to a room full of people. Like they are like equal loves of mine. Um, but I did just get increasingly frustrated with the kind of confused faces and the assumption that, You know, this was a stepping stone to me working with, you know, other massive pop producers. And that was not really ever the end game for me. I didn't really want it to end up there. So I kind of thought, well, you know what? Uh, I don't want to do that anymore. And I started to make more like lean. I started to not sing on my own records, basically. That's kind of how I found that people would were taking my you know would um take my role as a producer more seriously on my own records if i didn't sing on them <laughs> as soon as i sang on them they became kind of enchanted by the voice and forgot all about the amount of hours and effort that goes into who you know the track essentially yeah. even though it was me making it um so it was really fascinating for me to you know as soon as i started working with other featured artists and getting them to sing on my work it was suddenly like whoa laura these tracks are amazing you know like who produced these i'm like me it's always been me but for some reason as soon as i put my own voice on something it's just assumed that i'm the vocalist or the writer and not actually making the music so it was very it's an interesting process and i will occasionally still put my voice on a record because i feel like now i've cemented the story enough that people know it's me making the tracks and that's as important to me as uh, the other stuff. But um, it's uh, it's been a journey. And I mean, I've always been constantly evolving myself and kind of developing my own artistry along the way. And I love doing that. I love learning new things and, and moving in different directions. So I feel like it was just a very natural progression of me really to leave pop behind and, and arrive at where I am now.
0: And it's interesting that you say people assumed um, that perhaps someone else was producing it once you were doing the vocals. Why do you think that is? Do you think in the back of their mind, you know, maybe even subconsciously, they thought it was a male producer or something? Or do you just think that people couldn't comprehend that you were literally doing the whole thing?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it is that just because it's not seen very often. You know, it's really the the role of producer in pop music to an extent, I think is still quite mysterious. You know people don't necessarily see that process of how some of those tracks are are put together. you know some of the big big tracks you know by you know your massive massive pop stars. You don't necessarily see the the process of how those records are made. So um, I guess it, it's just you know you believe what you see, and if you don't see it, then you know you see the, all the women that you see in the industry are you know the vocalists and not necessarily sat behind the desk you know, in front of the computer. Um, chopping things up you maybe people don't necessarily immediately associate that with your role in in that kind of creative space so um, yeah I think uh, people do just especially in pop music it's so narrow still in many ways like there I mean you know I always cite Prince as somebody who you know he did produce himself and performed all his own tracks and was making pop music and is obviously phenomenal but we haven't had that many artists since in a very very mainstream kind of sense that break through on a a massive level that are seen to be their own producers it's just not done that often and whereas in electronic music you know I you know I look up to people like Fortet and Floating Points and um, a lot of these artists who are really well known for you know making all the music and uh, and then they use the DJing as a way to kind of showcase that music to people in a live sense but um yeah just different you believe what you see and if you can't see it then you can't believe it (laughs) that makes any sense
0: no it does and i've spoken to a lot of female producers and women in audio recently have said really similar things to you actually they want to you know make the changes to make it more visible that obviously there are women working in all these different sectors but um it's just not as Visible, I guess, just to use an easy word there. So it doesn't seem as um likely or something on some bizarre level. But of course, you're out there, aren't you? You're doing your thing. So um we're very happy to keep um, you know, reminding the world of this via this podcast platform, basically.
1: Very good. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) I do feel it's moving in the right direction. Um, and of course, with social media and, you know, the kind of platforms where you can share everything now that you're up to, it's become a lot easier for people to share, you know, their kind of studio um, writing experiences and we kind of have we're starting to lift the curtain a little bit on you know the mystery of how these songs and the creative process is kind of what that is so um, yeah I feel like we are going in the right direction but we still need more women in front of computers and desks and doing technical roles in my opinion
0: yeah absolutely um well I saw as well so you released don't waste my time last year which features um just on vocals so this was actually written in 2018 I saw in just one afternoon at a writing camp for female and non-binary identifying producers in New Zealand very nice by the way so tell me about this I heard you know you obviously put it together in hardly any time at all so why was that why was there such a time crunch on this one uh, well, writing camps generally are,
1: you know, you are writing under pressure like that. So a writing camp is when people, a group of people will be put together um, and you're usually making a song a day, sometimes a song, in a, you know, a song in the morning and a song in the afternoon. So it is a very high pressure kind of environment. You know, it's like speed dating, but for songwriting. You know, you meet the people that you're expected to write a song with in the morning and uh, you should be able to be able to play something of what you made by the dinner time when you all get together again. Um, And so it just happened that, I mean, I used to do writing camps as a vocalist and I never really enjoyed them very much because um, people would kind of imprint on you, you know, what they would expect you to want to do as an artist. And actually, it's very hard as an artist to get a song out of, Um, a very quick session like that like especially for me as an artist like I like to know the people that I'm collaborating with there's a a certain amount of trust and um, Mm. kind of ground rules that need to be established and and research you know you need to know who you're making music for as an artist and so that that never really worked for me being a vocalist at writing camps because it was all just a bit too kind of surface you never really got to go that deep whereas when I started making them as a producer just the whole world of writing camps kind of opened up to me. And I really started enjoying that process of meeting, um, you know, different arts, lots of different artists from lots of different backgrounds and the kind of freedom of, you know, we can make anything for anyone. It doesn't, you know, I don't, it doesn't have to be for any particular artist in the room. We're just going to make a piece of great music. And that was very much what happened with don't waste my time. Um, everybody just brought their a game that morning for whatever reason (laughs) and it came together so quick I had the basics of the track kind of prepared that I'd done a load of prep on the plane over which was obviously quite a long flight 24 hours to New Zealand I was there for a week so I was pretty jet lagged and like wiped out for most of it which might have helped my creativity on that whole camp um the slightly hazy jet lagged feeling yeah. uh, might have brought out some really good decisions um, and uh, it was just a magic track that came out of it but equally I didn't know what to do for ages with it because it was kind of wasn't really uh, didn't really fit with the world that I'd kind of was working on at that time it was way more grime it was way more heavy it had obviously had that very established rap style on it which I wasn't really I hadn't really done that many tracks with that kind of amount of featured vocal on it um so it was just kind of sat there waiting for its moment and uh it finally came this year (laughs) Mm. and it's been going down very very well which is great
0: yeah it has and I saw on your Instagram as well you said you revisited the mix so many times to get it right so for you how do you know when a track is finished or is it I suppose that's a very hard question but when do you call it a day with that
1: you I usually know when I play it and I'm not like ooh, should really change that. Or like, you know, there's not that niggling little hi-hat that's sticking out or the bass is not impactful enough. You with Don't waste my time. It was really, it was the balance between the bass and everything else, which was really hard to nail because the bass is obviously so um, heavy, uh, but you don't want it to take over the whole entire mix because you still need the track to be loud and you still need it to be punchy when you play it. Um, So uh, it took a bit of a while to finesse, basically, that bass (laughs) to make it sit and not overtake everything else in the whole entire track. Um, So that's really what I kept visiting on that uh, for that
0: track. Okay, But
1: um, yeah, I I was also going to say and also because it was made two years ago, you obviously, you know, in two years you can develop your mixing skills a lot. You know, I'm always developing my mixing skills and getting better and better and better every track I make it becomes easier so it was quite interesting to revisit a session that was obviously two years old by that point and be like okay I've got some new plugins I can sort this baby out and bring it like a bit more in line with where I'm at now.
0: Okay yeah that's great that you were able to use I suppose the extra time where you were waiting to put your new skills onto it. Um, so that's brilliant. And it's um Annie Mack played it on Radio One a lot. Um, so how does it feel to hear your song on the radio? Do you ever get used to that?
1: <laughs> it always feels amazing. Like I don't know what it is about radio. Maybe it's because I grew up listening to radio. You know, we listen I listened to Radio One a lot growing up as a kid. Um And so it's always dead exciting. And it's also really exciting because friends text you about it because they also get really excited about it. and it's just uh, it is always really fun like you know as soon as it's played on the radio whether that's radio one or bbc six or whatever it's like you get a couple of text messages like oh my god you're on the radio right now And i'm like oh it's, it's so nice for other people to get excited for you um because sometimes in music when you're doing this thing especially right now in the pandemic like we spent so much time on our own and sometimes it can feel a bit like a, a lonely pursuit you know yeah <laughs> um, so it's quite nice to get that real life recognition sometimes from your mates of like oh my god you're doing this thing it's amazing and i'm like yeah <laughs> there you go <laughs> thank you yeah that's um, so.
0: incredible it's a, it must be different i suppose yeah you can listen to something on spotify literally whenever you want but there must just be something about it being live on the radio knowing that people are experiencing it all at the same time maybe like when i don't know everyone's watching the new episode of line of duty or something all at the same time it's just a sort of a collective experience isn't it
1: yeah exactly and uh, and i think that's what excites people about it you know because you can't see people streaming your music at home and they might even be a bit embarrassed to tell you you know oh i've been listening to your album loads on spotify you know i don't know um whereas on the radio yeah it's it's i guess it's the industry's kind of tick of approval and then it makes it kind of less embarrassing for them to say oh my god i love this tune that you've just made
0: <laughs> why is um, it embarrassing though
1: I don't know I guess uh, (laughs)
0: friends get weird
1: no but when you have a certain you get into a certain level I guess people feel like they it's so weird being a person in music actually I mean I very rarely talk about this but very few friends feel comfortable asking me questions about my life because I guess so much of your life you share on Instagram but it's not really your real life you know it was some of your real life but Mm. it's not the whole thing
0: highlight but they feel like I can
1: yeah, but they can feel like they can see a lot of it, but not the whole thing, you know, and there's still this mystery behind what is life in music like. And actually, so very, very few of my um, friends, other than the very, very close friends or people that have an understanding of what the music industry is like, feel comfortable or confident enough asking me many questions about my career or job. Um, so it, it's funny. Um, that, I guess that's why I would feel like, yeah, people maybe are a bit embarrassed sometimes. They're like, oh... I don't want to say anything in case she thinks I'm a nerd I'm like no oh. <laughs> I don't it's actually quite nice to be told that somebody's listening to my music out there
0: <laughs> oh no I think that's dice. I get it now that now that you've explained it um so your new song so this is I'll wait isn't it and I saw you've been sitting on that one for a little while so what's the story behind this track and how did it come together you know production wise where did you start
1: so that is another tune that uh, was made in two thousand and eighteen, so that's been around a little while, and again, it was quite different to anything else that I had started releasing at the beginning of deciding to release music as Laura. So it was just kind of sat there. Um, and uh, I a few years ago, I did a collaboration with Sasha, um the dJ, uh, who was obviously huge, huge influential. Uh, DJ and producer in electronic music throughout the 90s and and up to today. So um, he was putting together a compilation album of um, songs based off a playlist that he'd created on Spotify that was getting lots and like getting popular, basically. But it had quite a specific, a lot more relaxed, chill, melodic vibe to the songs that Sasha would be playing in his DJ sets, like less clubby and more kind of lo-fi electronica. So, um, sent me an email asking if I had anything for it, and I sent over that track. I'll wait, uh, thinking maybe maybe that will work. And uh, and thankfully, they they went for it, which was great. Uh, so it ended up on their this compilation album, and it's so nice to have it out because um, say otherwise had that opportunity not come along to package it in that compilation in that sort of sound. Um, it might not have ever got released, that one. Even though I love the song, it just didn't really fit with uh, what I was doing uh, separately with my own singles. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's very—it's a lot more melodic than any of the music I've been making recently. It's a lot less bass-heavy, it's a lot less driving, and it's just a little bit more, you know, sun-drenched and, and chilled out. Um, and the process of it really was same as everything else, start with a beat, baseline program that, messed around with some vocal ideas from myself from myself. That is my vocal on that one. Um, and I wanted to really, at that time when I was making it, I was really enjoying stepping away from traditional songwriting structures and using my vocal as a sample you know, I really was not interested in writing verses and choruses and, and some kind of narrative story. I just had enough. So I was like, I just want to make some cool uh, sounds and, you know, and <laughs> sample myself. And so that's what I did on that track. Um, and thankfully, it worked out.
0: Okay, well, you're obviously doing something right, because excitingly, you're up for MPG Remix of the Year this year. So congratulations.
1: Thank you. Yeah, that is exciting. It's nice to get a little nod from the industry every now and again.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So where were you when you heard that you were nominated?
1: I was in lockdown. (laughs) I was in in lockdown. And you know, what? I actually saw it on the press announcement um, on Twitter or something before I'd been told. I think... um, an email had got lost somewhere between me and my manager or you know the MPG's and my manager um so we were quite blissfully unaware um that I'd even been nominated until I saw it go out on the press release I was like hey that's my name <laughs> there with Matthew Herbert and Uncle um which is an honor to be nominated you know besides um those guys so uh, yeah it's, uh, it's it's really nice to be nominated
0: okay yeah I Bet. and is it for your recent work i'm guessing is it for a particular song or track or is it just uh, how does that work then i i
1: honestly i can't tell you the period of time that it, it, but it's for the last year's releases so it'll be the really the remixes that i released um during 2019 to 20 i believe um oh, gotcha. something like that
0: yeah that would make so, sense
1: timeline wise wouldn't it yeah so it's not my i mean from January this year I'm now on my 12th remix for people (laughs) which is crazy so in some ways I feel like I am maybe more deserving of a a nomination for remix of the year next year (laughs) when all these remixes come out because I have been up to my absolute eyeballs in remixes this year um, which I'm not complaining about it's been really really good fun but um, yeah it's uh, the remixes I think they're judging for that that category will be the ones the year before that
0: mm, okay and given that you're up for remixer of the year then do you have any tips for remixes out there you know aspiring or otherwise or anything that's just worked for you or that you've learned through experience I think uh, for me
1: it's um, being bold uh, you know sticking to for, I remix in a certain way that is very much part of my artistic sonic identity, you know, if you come to me with a you can come to me with any kind of song you want, indie song, pop song, electronic song, whatever. But like I'm gonna try and fit that into my sound somehow and lend it my kind of sonic signature. Um and so as long as the artist is happy for for me to sometimes honestly totally pull it apart um to make it work for something that fits in my world and theirs um then uh then just go for it but um it can be tricky sometimes if you, you're working with a label or an artist that have a very specific idea of what they want it to sound like um but with no regard for actually the music you make <laughs> you know that happens sometimes I'm like oh we want a disco remix of this and I'm like uh have you listened to the music I make because I don't really make disco tunes um so that can be tricky sometimes to navigate but um you know usually if the artist is very open-minded for the direction it can take um I'm always open-minded when I approach a remix um just see where the music takes me basically um then it usually works out really well
0: okay gotcha and in terms of your home studio then so what have you got in there what's some of your essential and go-to kit because our listeners always love to hear about that
1: Okay, well, I actually, they might be disappointed to hear that I am not much of a gear nerd. Like, I feel really very free and love not having many options. Mm-hmm. I find it opens me up more creatively um, to have the restriction of not that much gear in my studio. So I obviously have my laptop and my computer, which is the most, the main kind of piece of equipment that I couldn't live without. Um, and then I have... A couple of synths in here. So I've got an SH101, a Roland SH101 that I just recently bought actually a couple of weeks ago. So I'm enjoying playing around with that. Um got my little mini logue called Mini Logue synth, which is the first synth I bought because it was just cheap and small and fits on my desk. And um it's brilliant. I use that so much in a lot of my Uh, tracks Um, I've got a little nice compressor a nice preamp and I work on focal CMS-65s as my main monitors and I have a pair of Yamaha NS-10s to reference on and uh, I've got a like a various selection of mics and my main mic of choice for doing like high quality polished vocals for mainly other artists will be it's my blue bottle rocket stage one it's called which is a nice mic that I use a lot and it's quite versatile you can use it on n- lots of different things not necessarily just vocals and then I've also really been enjoying using a lot of the Aston mic range recently they sent me a couple of mics and um, so I use a spirit uh, from their Aston mics um all the time I just have it constantly plugged in next to me in case I can you know just grab it and um, bang down a few ideas or if I've got a vocalist in the studio with me um, they're usually sat up right on the desk with me and we're kind of figuring it out as we go and so I I like to a lot of the time have the vocalist on a handheld um, just next to me it really captures a lot of personality and that's really what my aim in a lot of the music I'm releasing Um, under Laura is like the fun upbeat high energy tunes that should shine with personality Um, that's really what I wanted to get across
0: so. Okay. Excellent. And um what are your plans music-wise for the rest of this year? Are you just going to be working on more remixes? Are there any potential DJ sets, you know, fingers crossed, what's going to be happening for you?
1: Yeah. So, I have got a couple of remixes to finish off, say now, um and then all of those remixes for people will start coming out over the summer. Um I've got a new single of my own which will be coming out in June or July. Um, which is ready to go and then I've got an EP of those tracks and some of the singles and a couple of other songs coming out after that in the autumn and a vinyl release of the whole collection of singles so far plus the EP songs will be coming out before the end of the year um, which I'm excited about because none of these songs have been pressed to vinyl yet this all just exists in a digital realm so I'm excited to have a, a record that I can hold in my hands with my work on um and before that there are i've got a little, little couple of things getting booked in now dj sets um for over the summer but i'm really aiming for just to say lots and lots of studio work and then uh, hitting the ground running again in in uh, 2022 and be doing lots of shows uh,
0: then Okay well lots to look forward to then and of course this year is a bit up in the air so I can understand how you can plan ahead for next year for any shows and all of that sort of thing so um, you know best of luck with the MPGs and everything so we'll be looking out and obviously announcing the winners whenever we know about them. Um, Fingers crossed for you and um, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me Alice,
0: nice to speak to you. You're so welcome, bye then.